another episode of around the outside the podcast for the formula one fanatic with me chris moss and jake peach well thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast it's great to be back after a little time away to catch up with what's been going on in the season so far in this new era of formula one if you want to check us out online and give us a follow we'd be very grateful we're on facebook and instagram just search around the outside podcast on facebook and we're at ato podcast underscore on instagram well the last time we spoke together was after the emilia romagna grand prix so there's lots of key moments talking points and debates to be had over the season so far so let's get into it for this episode before the summer break in a few weeks time on around the outside so chris we've had Seven Grand Prix since we last spoke. A lot's happened between now and Imola. Um, we went on to Miami after Imola and the most recent race in Austria. What do you make of the season so far before we uh, dive into things a bit more in closer detail? Um, there's been some good races. There's been some boring races. There's been some surprises. There's been some joyful moments. There's been some disappointments. There's been shock horrors. There's been a bit of everything, really. Um, as a whole, I... I think last season was probably more competitive for a title fight. Mm. Um, but as a whole, um, yeah, it's, it's, the season is shaping up. Every team's got a chance to get points, which is nice to see. Um, you're seeing drivers who traditionally wouldn't have done well get something out of Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's been nice. It's been nice to see new faces. Not necessarily be on the podium, but in the points, scoring regular points and yeah, just having all around good races. On that point of it being a bit mixed up, it's not quite on the level of seven different winners in the first seven races back in 2012, literally a decade ago now, which is crazy to think that that was literally 10 years ago. Uh, But it's been unpredictable because the new regulations, this new era of Formula One, the ground effect kind of philosophy has really shaken things up for the teams. And of course, people who have dominated it for so long, Mercedes, have not had it plain sailing and have been playing catch up for the first time in the last seven to eight years. Yeah, they they definitely... um got caught out uh, and caught, caught napping if we were in racing terms uh, with Red Bull and Ferrari in particular both of them being very strong in some departments and not so strong in others but as a complete race package they seem to be there or thereabouts every weekend um, obviously towards the latter stages of the last few races Mercedes have brought upgrades which have enabled them to be a little closer but over a race distance, they're still some way off where they should be mm. and where they need to be to be able to win a Grand Prix. Mm. And uh, one driver particularly, funnily enough, more successful than the other, which we'll come on to in later on in this episode. And we won't delve too deeply into all the races because there's will be so much to get through in the last seven Grand Prix, but we're going to pick out some of the key moments of the last uh, seven Grand Prix that we've had to uh, had the joy of getting our teeth into. Um, I, I guess, though, before we go any further, Chris, we're saying at the moment that it looks like Ferrari and Red Bull are kind of the two main protagonists this season. Uh, and good good to see two different teams right at the top and batting it out. And to be quite honest, you know, Leclerc with a bit of dominance at the start of the season. We've had Sainz pick up a win and Perez pick up a win. Verstappen picking up the most. Um, it, it is, it's good to see those two at the top again and mixing it up a bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, last season in particular, we saw two two drivers um, battling out, uh, which was pure dominance. But at the same point, we still had, you know, a couple of surprise results. You know, Hungary, we had very random and uh, unexpected victory for Alpine. You know, we've we mm. obviously got the Hungara ring coming up in a couple of weeks' time as well. So there's there's still some circuits that have got uh, places to play for the drivers. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton very strong at the Hungara ring. Um, so that know, is true. Yeah. If Mercedes in a d- can get a package that will work there, um, it could work wonders. But it's normally more of a Red Bull track with uh, the chassis being more of what you need around that circuit. Mm. 
and a, a difficult season when Hamilton was oh, is it 2013 which was his first season with Mercedes all that time ago uh, was actually the only well, I think, was it the only win he picked up that year with Mercedes it was the only yeah. win that season so he yeah. goes well around Hungary should have won Silverstone but yeah. you know Pirelli tires <laughs> the less said about that the better I think I don't think Pirelli wants to be reliving that and uh, everything <sighs> seemed well this season so that, that was a good thing uh, well look let's, let's kind of pick out some of the key moments of the last few Grand Prix Chris and we've been to Miami for the very first time round the Dolphin Stadium uh, a success for you it seemed like a great event particularly of course having another race in the US of A yeah it, it seemed to do better than what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be it was more action than I had anticipated it being obviously the build up to the circuit was all about the fake marina um, mm. especially by fans trying to be Monaco <laughs> um, trying to be Monaco um, but yeah as a race, I feel like it was decent. We saw some battling for the for the lead. Um, Red Bull had some superior straight line speed. Yes. If you had spoken about in the past sort of five years, someone would have been asking what you've been drinking because that has <laughs> never been their strong suit. This season, power-wise, they, they seem to probably have the edge on Ferrari, um, whereas Ferrari are probably better in the corners, which, again, is probably... probably roles reverse from what we used to um, but obviously there was a couple of collisions which you know saw how high speed street circuit like Miami yeah you know ha- has its dangerous sides obviously that the collision with Gasly and Norris um, yeah that sort of shows bit of a strange one though wasn't it because Gasly went wide and then you know Gasly thought you know he was just trying to rejoin the track he he wasn't really like hugging the middle of the track and then Norris I think it was just a bit of a a bit of both 50-50 and they end up colliding I think Norris's crash looked a bit more dramatic than it actually was try to survive here we come Yeah, possibly you could make an. Oh no! And, and, the Grand Prix. and Norris has driven into Gasly deliberately. What's going on? <laughs> Wait, of course it it wasn't like that at all. Imagine if Max no. Verstappen gets into something like that. I mean, I know he doesn't appear on the show, but um, they can make we, something we had a bit like that. Like that when uh, Ocon and him had a collision back in Brazil, twenty sixteen, seventeen, something. Yes. Like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that was uh, twenty eighteen. Yeah, um, one of the two. Uh, it was get, a fisticuffs moment. <laughs> yeah, it gets a bit spicy. But uh, yeah, no, I'm sure they'll be putting their own spin on it um, with the seasons come. There's always things going on in the season like that anyway. So I'm sure it's not going to be the last. Um, we'll come on to talk about Mr. Consistent or otherwise known as George Russell or otherwise known as Mr. Shirtless lately as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems to just, you know show off all the time um, and why wouldn't you when you you know in in as good a shape as that um, but Russell really doing his talking on the track as well um, and Miami kind of again further cementing this really impressive consistent performance that he's been in the top five up until he had that DNF in in at Silverstone which we'll come on to later he's been very very consistent and getting the most out of that Mercedes yeah yeah you know, George has recently been saying like he spent too long at Williams, but I think in that sort of respect, mm. it's probably helped him with this car because he's used to outperforming the car of what it should be doing. You know, we've seen since Canada really with the the upgrades that Mercedes have brought. Lewis has got his sort of confidence back, and he's he's picking up podiums. Um, mm. But early early season, and you know, it shows in the table. George has been the one that's been getting the points, doing what he needs to do to really show why he's Lewis Hamilton's teammate and he's doing a fantastic job. What do you make of his comments about Williams particularly? Do you think, you know, people will respect him for that that honesty? Uh, Of course, when you're in a lower team and you want to be driving in in a faster team, that's every driver's ambitions and dreams. But do you feel like it was was fair fair game, fair comments? I think it's one of them comments that's sort of 50-50. I think Mm. if you look back now, it was one year too long I think if he had gone into the car last year and been Lewis's teammate who knows what could happen there the the result would have been quite different I think George would have won races last year whereas Valtteri didn't Mm. Um, but you know it is what it is you know George still 
smashed what he'd got out of that Williams. He got a second place through his Saturday performance in mm-hmm. Spa. Um, but at the same point, would he be as confident as, as he is now in the Mercedes by have coming in a Absolutely. year Absolutely. And forced you know, him to really, you know, push and get the most out of that Williams, like you just said, you know, in Spa and I mean, and this, really, you know, that the, the wet qualifying performance and how, how well he was doing it at Austria last year around that time as well when we had the, the two Grand Prix. Um, albeit, you know, reliability problems with the, I think it was the hydraulics or, or the CO2 gas that went in his car or something like that. But, you know, yeah, spurred him on to get the seat. So probably not a bad thing, like you say. Um, I think I think the thing as well is there was no teams that had a seat available um, for the last season. Yeah, it's the silly yeah, season, isn't it? The Perez silly season goes on. Obviously, being a Mercedes driver... Aston Martin had both seats filled. Williams had the contract for George, which was a three-year contract, so he was going into his last year anyway. McLaren had signed Daniel Ricciardo much earlier in the season and obviously mm-hmm. have Lando Norris on a long-term deal as well. Yeah. So actual Mercedes-powered cars, which he could potentially feed into, there was no options. No. Mercedes obviously had Valtteri signed up for one more year along with Lewis um, Hamilton. So... It was either Williams or nothing. And I feel like maybe if Toto had given Valtteri one less year on his deal than what he did, maybe George would have been able to get into the seat earlier. But yeah, Valtteri had, had that extra year on his contract, used it to to get what he got. And um, yeah, the one thing with Formula 1 is you don't ever want to look back. You want to keep looking forward. And I think now he's in that top team. They need to push to get that car to move further up the grid and move forward. Yeah, quite. I think when you look at it now, it'd be pretty weird to see George in a Mercedes with Lando, or you know, in a different team than not Mercedes. Which I, I think you know, things always work out in the end as they should, and uh, it's obviously proven well because he's he's really delivering the results considering the car that's underneath him this season which is as you say getting better with the upgrades that are coming along and then giving his teammate Hamilton a bit more confidence um, no pressure of your teammate of course as a seven time world champion or should I make a mistake like Leclerc and say that he's an eight time champion who knows um, I'll leave that to you um, talking of Verstappen uh, Verstappen's DRS got a bit confused in Spain it was uh didn't want to open too much. There was some problems. I don't know whether it was the heat causing some issues or hydraulics at the at the uh, rear wing and not wanting to open the drag reduction system. But uh, George Russell, talking about him there, putting up a good defence for, for quite a few laps against, as you say, as you said before, Chris, a, a very fast Red Bull in a straight line. Yeah, obviously Russell being able to defend uh, due to the fact Verstappen couldn't get his DRS open. So even though Verstappen was closing in just on the raw pace, George Russell could just use his ERS and, and defend. And it was fantastic to see the battle mm. between George and, and Verstappen. Obviously, hopefully one day, either this season or even next season, them two fighting for a win in that position, not one because they had a spin, which Verstappen did with the, the turn four incident, the same as what uh, Carlos Sainz had, um, but purely on pure merit. And I think, you know, we, we could, we're getting to start to see that sort of battle again later on in the season as well as you know obviously what we did then did it bring up a case for drs being thrown out of the sport again with that kind of battle and and you know good good uh, race craft from and for russell that being more rewarded than than kind of obviously the guy behind on a faster tire and and simply sort of getting the undercut do you can you see that happening within the next two three years because i know there has been some talk about it before the start of this season people were talking about i think alonso made some comments about it I think DRS is very overpowered, but at the same point, the cars follow very closely, but mm. there isn't much for a car to overtake. Straight line speed without DRS, I think unless you're in a Red Bull, you're not really going to overtake. Mm. Mm. The cars are very, very equal speed-wise. Um, so that extra you know, 20 horsepower, 60 horsepower, whatever it is, bonus that you get for a DRS... It's enough to make overtakes, and we want to see overtaking in the sport. Yeah, you know that's why last year's Brazilian Grand Prix was one of the best Grand Prix. That was amazing because <laughs> out of nowhere you're seeing cars overtake. You know, we saw Lewis Hamilton go from plum last in on the sprint Saturday, race. yeah, to up to tenth for the Sunday race 
to win the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. No DRS. You, you, Lewis Hamilton ain't, ain't winning that Grand Prix. There's, you know, plenty of races. You know, we saw it at Silverstone. Five car battle. For, that was that was incredible. Yeah, for a second place. You know, and it was five different teams as well. It wasn't just like it was one team dominating. You had mm. Ferrari, you had Red Bull, you had Mercedes, you had McLaren at one point with Lando Norris, you had Alpine with Alonso. You had so many cars and teams mm. battling and they're all helping with the DRS. And the Haas are up there as well. I mean, uh, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for the, the Silverstone race. But uh, yeah, it's been good to see them back up there. And, and to be fair... Had quite well, a fairly decent time in Miami and, and Spain, and sort of surprising a few people. Um, but of course, with, with Ferrari, their dominance sort of in the early part of the season, and particularly when you look at the first race in Bahrain, we're thinking, oh, crap, they're going to run away with it here, and it's going to be Ferrari and, and Red Bull. But it looked like Leclerc was all over it. Um, sadly, had uh, some reliability problems in Spain. Um, a 12 second lead, he was looking pretty comfortable, and then kaboom. Yeah, that seems to be. Um... You know, where Red Bull in the early stages of the season were having reliability issues, it's now coming back to bite Ferrari because they're now <laughs> they getting... They threw it in the Ferrari engine. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're now the ones that are struggling with reliability. And I think if you look more recently over the Grand Prix, I think Ferrari got more of the issues than what Red Bull have. Red Bull have sort of sorted that out. We haven't really seen any reliability issues for them for a while now. Um but, you know, Leclerc's already had an engine uh, uh, penalty, which he, he served at Canada, you know, and it's not really helping their championship. Um, you know, and it's not just Leclerc's engine, it's, it's science, obviously, what we saw in Austria as well. Mm. Mm. I think this season, you know, they're only allowed, I think, three, maybe four engines. I think it's three engines. Um for the whole season as it is I think Ferrari potentially might need to take another penalty for both drivers they've already both served one yeah so you know it was a bit of, bit of a killer blow for Leclerc then but uh, you know um, Max capitalising even though uh, his teammate uh, Leclerc's teammate Sainz had a spin at turn four and Max himself did what well, a great recovery drive if you th- if you think about it um, and, and getting up to, to George Russell and George Russell making uh, making the kind of the pit stop try and work to his advantage, but just couldn't in the end keep him behind. So that was Spain. Monaco, Leclerc. Oh, you thought it was going to be a joy finally for Leclerc in Monaco, his home race. Um, but then uh, a bit of a mix up in the pit stops, fair to say. Uh, well, and leaving him, let's, I think it's safe to say, incredibly angry on the radio when they were double stacking uh, during the rain as always rain in Monaco rain in any race but particularly Monaco throws up confusion excitement um, and kind of you know unpredictability it gave us all of that and we were waiting for quite a while didn't we before the race got started yeah it was up in arms whether we were going to start on inters they were going to start behind a safety car if they were going to start on dryers nobody knew and that's what made Monaco this year so exciting you know the last few years has it's kind of felt like a bit like a procession but this year felt like a motor race yeah you know we, we were seeing uh strategy being thrown out we were seeing you know people having to make decisions on the fly you know we saw max verstappen starting behind his teammate which i don't think he's ever done at monaco before you know mm. it was it was fantastic um, i think we had a ferrari front row something we've not had at uh Mon- uh, Monaco for many many years you know we've had a second pole position for Leclerc able to actually start the Grand Prix mm. actually finished the Grand Prix the first time in his career you know bear in mind he's done GP2 Formula 1 for several years first time he's <laughs> yeah. ever finished but still not on the podium <laughs> despite being on pole um, yeah sure he went home that well literally took a short stroll home that night and had a little cry to himself like why me again why always me or something like that it's not Mario Balotelli mate (laughs) it catches on quickly so disappointing from Leclerc but actually uh, people that have seen Verstappen as a protagonist in Red Bull Sergio Perez once showing again that he's trying to break the curse of that Red Bull second seat and to be honest is really I, I I guess out of any of the drivers in the last few years, you think of Alex Albon or Pierre Gasly, he seems to have really wrestled with that 
that sort of paradox and got on top of it. And he's being a great teammate for Verstappen, hopefully not all the time beating him because that wouldn't be a great teammate in Max's eyes, but being there for the team when Max can't be, which is what they've craved for so long. I mean, it's the first time since sort of Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel mm. era where they've had two drivers battling it out, both of them able to get wins. Yes, arguably one's more favoured than the other as it was back in the day as well. But both of them on their day have a chance to win the Grand Prix. I mean, Paris has had a couple of chances this year to win. Verstappen, obviously, we have seen win numerous Grand Prix already this year. You know, it's it's a bit more refreshing for Red Bull instead of just having one car constantly there and the other one getting knocked out in Q1. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and it's it's good to see that uh, you know there is a little bit, as you say, more leniency in that team. However, uh, there will always be a lead driver, no matter what team it is. Um, for this part, let's quickly mention Azerbaijan as well. Um, again, sadly, more misery for Ferrari, though. Uh, a double DNF for them. It was not a very happy Sunday for Ferrari, considering the misery that Leclerc just had from Monaco and then Max of course making the most of that taking the lead in the drivers championship it was not a good uh, good race for Ferrari no it was the second race in three where Leclerc's engine went on him you know again mm. had a 12 second lead over second place comfortable in the lead and his engine was like nope <laughs> yeah he's gonna leave it there and what to be fair Max Verstappen thank probably you know sort of praying to the gods that his his tyre didn't go down that very, very, very long straight, almost reaching some some speeds of 220 miles an hour sometimes down the very long Baku uh, main straight. And uh, his tyres kept intact. Um, Pierre Gasly, though, finishing in the top five, which was pretty amazing considering, you know, we, we always rave and rant, I think, about Pierre Gasly in the last couple of seasons. And we were hoping we would see maybe that kind of result uh, c- continued from Bahrain close to it, but it, it took until Azerbaijan for this kind of performance and Pierre Gasly still showing that he is one that should be kept an eye on, basically. And um, sadly, Helmut Marco saying it's not probably going to be possible for next season. I, I think he's already signed for... He's keeping um, himself there. AlphaTauri next yeah, season. Yeah, he signed for AlphaTauri. That's it. So, but, you know, proving his worth at the team and let's be honest, absolutely peeing all over Yuki Tsunoda sadly at the moment yeah um, Pierre's we've seen over the last couple of years he, he's a solid driver he's he's doing what he needs to do I feel like maybe he went into that Red Bull one season too early I, mm. I, I think looking back he wasn't ready whereas now he very much is ready for that seat but do you think you get one chance in a Red Bull seat though Chris when you know if you say go too early and people will always now make the excuses of what he was like there before do you do you see him going back in 20 what will be what will be 2024 possibly possibly but it's whether he will be willing to wait until 2024 to go in there yeah if another top seat comes up like in i don't know a ferrari mercedes Mm, mm. i I think pierre would probably take it and get out of the red bull system because he deserves to be in a top seat he deserves to be fighting for podiums and wins week in week out you know, in that Alpha Tauri, it's not possible to do that week in, week out. No. He's been doing phenomenal and, you know, a bit like George Russell, he's been outperforming that car for some amount of time now. Mm-hmm. So We have to keep an eye on, of course, as well, the whole Red Bull uh, junior driver programme. You know, um, uh, not well, not long ago, before sadly the, uh, the instant about the comments he made... Um, following the Azerbaijan Grand Prix Yuri Vips um, but we've got um, Johan Druvler as well in Formula 2 uh, Liam Lawson to name as well Dennis Hauger of course uh, winning Formula 3 last season doing pretty well in, in Formula 2 as well trying to carry on his momentum so he's not only now got to compete with the Formula 1 grid as ever he's got to compete with all of the ones that are vying to get into Formula 1 as well I mean you, you mentioned Yuri Vips he's still in the Red Bull driver yes um, he's just not their test driver no more. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'm saying, you know, that those links, I feel like with Red Bull, they're very cutthroat. You get one chance and it takes a lot to sort of get back in the in the realms. But look, look at it this way. I mean, talking about Perez, uh, surely he's not going to be staying at Red Bull or possibly in Formula One. 
until 2024. I mean, that's, I find that quite hard to see, don't you, Chris? Considering as well his comments saying if there are any more races that are going on the calendar, he might not be up for doing all of those races. I think a lot of drivers are like that, though. I know mm. Sebastian Vettel said that he, he wouldn't want any more races. Lewis Hamilton probably wouldn't want that many more races <laughs> <No>. either. <laughs> you know, you got to remember, it's not just the drivers that have to do it. It's all the team personnel Yeah, all well. mechanics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're away from their families for a good three quarters of a year, as it is already. Mm. You know, and we're going to be talking about it later on, but looking upwards of 30 Grand Prix a season, that's 30 weekends. Yeah. You know, they're going to be flying around for half the time after the Grand Prix anyway. So you're looking at about maybe seven weeks of the year at home yeah, with families. You know, that's, Which is nothing, you know. <laughs> really. And not seven yeah. weeks together, it's seven weeks spread out as well. So, Well, you yeah. get three weeks in the summer and then yeah. the time between the end of the season and the start of the new one. But listen, you've got testing, you've got to rebuild the car. Yeah, You've got next to no time at home. And so the Circus of Formula 1 will probably go on and, and well looks like it's going to expand a little bit as we say we'll talk about that a little bit later on okay that's the first uh, few grand prix to talk about let's move on to the canadian grand prix If you're listening to this so far and enjoying what we've got to say, um, please give us a subscribe on the podcast platform that you listen to so you can keep up to date with all of our episodes going forward and uh, hoping to have some guests on the podcast in the next few episodes. We're trying so hard, uh, but to be quite honest, I think a lot of people have... Uh, you know, got back out of kind of the COVID world and much harder to get hold of to come on the podcast. So they're so busy with the, of course, the increased races we were just talking about. So we'll keep doing our best to get a guest on the podcast uh, for you here on Around the Outside. But let's uh, now pick up with Canada, the Canadian Grand Prix round the Gilles Villeneuve circuit in Montreal. Mercedes upgrades really helped the, both the drivers make it into the top five. It looked like a, a marked step forward for them, uh, Chris, with both Lewis and George Lewis kind of having this almost newfound confidence in a way. Yeah, you've got to remember this is a circuit Lewis is very good at. Got his maiden win in Formula One. And, you know, he, he was looking to get, a, a well, maybe not a win, but definitely on the podium. And, and he got the podium. Second podium of the season for him. George Russell right behind him in fourth as well. Very good Grand Prix for the Mercedes team. And probably a weekend they very much needed. And, uh yeah, it was it was it was good to see them back there on on decent race per, like merit to be fair. Mm, mm. Um, obviously, Leclerc was down the grid, uh, qualifying down in fifteenth before getting a penalty for his his fresh engine after yeah. two of them blowing up on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Perez having a bit of a bit of a hoo ha in, in qualifying as well, um, but Max he had a commanding lead. By the end of the Grand Prix uh, in the standings with Charles Leclerc. But Leclerc got back to fifth. But it wasn't as plain salient for Verstappen as one would expect. Carlos Sainz gave him a good run for his money. And the gap between him and Sainz, Max and Sainz, was less than a second between them at the end of the uh, end of the Grand Prix. Yeah, it gave him a really good run at the end of, of the Grand Prix in the last few laps. And I feel like Ferrari's strategy, you know, credit where credit's due, really played out very well. And I, I really felt like they were going to get on top of of Verstappen and get out in front of him and and, and really sort of, you know, get in get Verstappen in the dirty air, create a little bit of the wake, and you know, obviously sitting behind the car more degradation on the tyres, a hotter engine, all of that, etc., and um, and make Verstappen go a bit uh, slower. But Verstappen managed to get out ahead of Sainz uh, in, in those pit stops. And, and when Sainz reached Verstappen, I don't know what it is about Max, he just has this extra place he can go, doesn't he, to just eke out just all the performance of that Red Bull underneath him. And somehow, I don't know how, but kept Sainz behind, um, who kept him waiting for his maiden victory. He did, but... It's like we were saying back in Miami, that Red Bull has got such straight line speed mm. that even Ferrari with DRS struggles to even keep up with it. That is how strong that engine is in that Red Bull. And who, who and you know, looking at the first race in Bahrain, who would have thought we'd be saying that, actually? You know, when you think about it, we were thinking that Ferrari were way, way on top and then and Red Bull got it sorted out. I mean, 
Yeah, but Red Bull were, you know, they were only a few seconds behind Leclerc when Max mm. had to retire with engine issues. Yeah. Obviously, Perez then had his engine go on the very last lap. So it weren't like it was a complete and utter surprise. No. Um, but, you know, certain tracks, obviously, it's more prevalent to see the, the, the power difference. And then we come to Great Britain, we come to Silverstone, where you were last year on the main straight. Were you sad not to be there this year, Chris? You know what I was? I, I, I very much enjoyed the Grand Prix last year, as I'm sure most of you were aware. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it weren't half bad this year either. No, it was, I mean, oh, the start, It was completely different. It was very, very different experience to last year obviously last year we had the the sprint race the very first sprint race ever mm. in formula one obviously they just debuted what this year's car looks like um but yeah it was it was a wet qualifying if you remember you know we had science uh take his maiden pole position with uh leclerc and verstappen both spinning on their laps but out qualifying both of the mercedes who brought more upgrades to silverstone but Science finally did get the race win. It was the first time also in 10 years since Pastor Maldonado that a driver got their maiden pole and maiden victory in the same Grand Prix. That's a pretty cool stat. Took him up. I didn't know that about uh, Pastor Maldonado. I mean, you think taking the record off of him. Wow. Yeah, a 10-year record. But also, another interesting fact, whereas Canada, Max Verstappen's 150th Grand Prix, he won it. That was also Carlos Sainz's 150 Grand Prix at Silverstone, <laughs> and he won it. So... 250 Grand Prix, two Grand Prix wins for them two. But, I mean, we, we have to start at the beginning of the Grand Prix. I know. That was... Uh, what, what is it with me going out drinking the night before and then waking up and seeing <laughs> oh, a God. horror crash? I did it with Roman Grosjean in Bahrain. Jeez. Oh, it happened again at Silverstone. Is this... I need to stop going out. I was going to say, is this, is this the curse... It's, the, it's just a curse of the alcohol. Of, curse of alcohol in Formula One by Chris Moss, some some Definitely. dude in Houston in Essex in the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, uh, the halo. We we, we said it with oh, Roman Grosjean. Yeah. Um, we we saw it earlier in the day with Dennis Hauger and yeah, that was scary. That was that was a big big impact as well. But this, you know, undoubtedly again save. Guan Yuzhou's life and again I, um, I, is- I don't think I can't recall ever since watching Formula 1 apart from probably Felipe Massa in Hockenheim a few years ago a crash like that happening at the start like it, it's so unpredictable you never would have thought that the way Guan Yuzhou collided with George Russell at the start would have flipped his car right over and onto the halo and literally having him going upside down for that long before hitting the catch fencing. And, and thank God the catch fencing did its job because, th- you know. It was something like 170 metres he ended up travelling at. Yeah. Going 170 odd mile an hour before then going onto the gravel, flipping the car upright and then into the catch fencing to land back onto his roof. Yeah. It was, you know, a one in a million crash. But again, it sparks a lot of safety concerns, sparks whether mm. it's the right thing mm. uh, to have the uh, relief road there because if that wasn't there, arguably he would have got out a bit quicker. Yeah, It took a long time to extract him from that crash. But remarkably, he had no injuries whatsoever. He went to the medical facilities afterwards at Silverstone got a clean bill of health was in the paddock whilst the race was still going on which was incredible to see mm. um, Alex Albon wasn't as lucky no uh, trying to avoid what was happening in front of him got a little love tap from Sebastian Vettel and put him <laughs> into the wall but it was enough that he had to get airlifted to Coventry General yeah um, for more precautionary checks um, but both, luckily both of them utterly fine mm. both did race obviously at Austria the week after Silverstone but, you know, look, looking back at the incidents like this, it just goes to show how far safety has come. You know, I was talking to a few friends and they were saying, you know, it's only when these big accidents ha- happen. Yeah. Like we mm-hmm. just have with Joe, Grosjean, you know. Yeah, we, we, we Felipe go like, Felipe Massa. Yeah. You know, even with, you know, Jules Bianchi, who, you know, we've just had his anniversary yeah. of his death, which was 2015, so seven years ago. Um you know, it's it's from having like Senna and Ratzenberger pass away, and obviously Jules Bianchi. Yeah. 
these huge, great feats of safety are very much saving other drivers. And, you know, without Jules having passed away, we probably would have lost many more drivers. Lewis Hamilton at Monza last year. Oh, mate, with yeah. The Red Bull that was literally hitting horrible. his helmet. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had it uh, spa a couple of times where cars have been hit. I think it was... Uh, Fernando Alonso, Fernando again. Alonso. <laughs> been caught up um, in that twice, but, you know, pre- Roman Grosjean in the earlier part of the of yeah. the 10s and then, you know, recently with the when he was at McLaren. So Obviously, we've had Roman Grosjean, we had Guan Yuzhou, we had, obviously, Dennis Hauger. Mm. Um, all hail, you know, all hail Charlie so Whiting, I, I guess, really. Very, very much so. You know, he pushed it it's through. Very, a lot of people. You know, Roman Grosjean was one of them, saying they don't want it. It will make the cars look ugly. It's mm. not right for Formula One. Mm. I mean, after that, his accident, he was very much singing the praises of what the Halo did, and I don't think there's a single person out there right now that wouldn't want a Halo on their car. No, absolutely. It has done so much for the sport in a positive way and I can't remember the last single thing that made this sport as positive as what the Halo has now done. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, I hate to be kind of, you know, negative and a bit depressing about it, but I, I don't know what the reason is for why we've had so many incidents in such, you know, short succession, maybe compared to other times when I think back consciously about it. But imagine how many drivers we might have lost, you know, in and the you know the Roman Grosjean, Lewis Hamilton, greatest driver, one equal greatest driver of all time in the sport, could have lost him uh, had it not been for this. We could have lost Grand Joe at Silverstone. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's quite remarkable when when you put it like that. Uh, the impact of the halo. So yeah, I don't think anyone's you know saying anything now. If there were critics about it, uh, they're certainly not there anymore. I'd like to think anyway. And if they are, then well. Uh, Maybe they've got a bit of a screw loose. Um. Yes. But anyway, we move on. <laughs> we we get past the the depressing part of the Silverstone. Yeah, thanks, Grand Prix. Chris. We'll we'll go to the positive part and just what a Grand Prix. Yeah. It was probably one of the greatest Grand Prix since Silverstone twenty twenty one. But yeah, a five car fight for second towards the end of the Grand Prix between Perez, Hamilton, Leclerc, Alonso, even Lando Norris at one stage before they all went away from him. You know, Max not being part of that due to earlier part of the race where he had a huge chunk of damage. I think it was even from an Alpha Tauri in the back of his car. Yeah, that's about right. Causing him to lose so much downforce that he felt like he had a puncture, pitted him, sent him back out and he was still having issues. Mm. Um, But he managed to bring his car home in seventh. But the big (laughs) news of the weekend by far... Mick Schumacher scored points, and I don't think there was a sad person to read that. No, it's lovely. Everybody was so chuffed that he finally scored points after so long, and it was a fantastic eighth place. He was fighting for Sappen for seventh as well. And it was also a double points finish for Haas, something they haven't done probably since 2016, 2017. So it was a great weekend for them. Um, obviously, George, in that first lap incident, did end his uh, top five streak. He had had it all the way up till then, um, but George, being the good Samaritan it is, did stop to go and check. Yeah, on got a DNF because he was trying to see if the other drivers okay. Um, and I, I still feel it was a bit harsh that he wasn't allowed to well, restart he did tell the, the race. Mechanics to, he did tell the mechanics not to touch his car. They touched his car. Yeah, but the rules state that you know you can't mm. do that. So, but you know, it wasn't long before he got back in the top five. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fantastic Grand Prix. I, I I very much enjoyed watching it. I was very lucky, obviously, having booked that weekend off for <laughs> a... Uh, uh, I went to my friend's wedding on the Saturday, so mm. I was lucky that I was able to actually watch the Grand Prix having not been there live. But yeah, I very much enjoyed uh, watching it. And obviously, we, we saw earlier in the day that Sebastian Vettel was driving Nigel Mansell's 1992 yeah, car. Yeah, that was pretty special. With <laughs> carbon neutral fuel, so... Yeah, big big weekend all around. 
and him wearing that retro race suit as well, the Williams race suit, and it just it just felt so retro. <laughs> it was so amazing at the same time. Like, I mean, it was so natural because Mansell was having a mustache as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It looks like he was trying to emulate him, of course, in in some ways. Uh, look, uh, a most recent Grand Prix that we've had. Went back to the Red Bull ring, um, and let's just say it was shrouded in orange smoke for probably the whole grand prix uh everybody came out for lando norris <laughs> of course second year in a row yeah i know last year saying you know they're clearly clearly for him because uh, they love mclaren so much and obviously in the netherlands too um but max verstappen of course a track he knows very well being part of the red bull team um basically was uh looking pretty on for for the whole weekend but um you know there were there were other ideas in the works yeah, he claimed pole position uh, and he also claimed the sprint race victory and the sprint race was probably more of a surprise because Ferrari looked very strong race pace-wise but had nothing for Max. They were struggling, maybe mainly because they were battling each other rather than trying to get ahead of the Red Bull. But when it came to the actual race, Ferrari got their marching orders. They were very much faster than, than Max and Red Bull as a whole. It was very much etched for a 1-2 for the Ferrari team. And as Sainz was looking to pass Max going into towards turn four, his engine blew up. Another one. Yeah. Another one. All right, DJ Khaled. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know you were in the room. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I mean, he, he, was, clearly... he wasn't Miami, to be fair, though, Jake. <laughs> No, it's, yeah, that's true. Um, but I, clearly there, there's been a bit of a trade-off there with Ferrari this season. Uh, obviously, they don't want engines to blow up, but perhaps where they've really worked on the engine, and I know that was their big focus, of course, after the last couple of years on in that sort of in that part of the car with the power unit and particularly, you know, the, the, the actual combustion engine itself. Uh, you know, it was it's a pretty... Probably they felt like it made a really big step and that was what they were aiming to do. But of course, when you innovate too much, there sometimes can be go a bit too far with the limits and uh, they'll probably, of course, wanting to get on top of that and, and understand it even better than, than they have. Although, you know, earlier on, of course, we'll, we'll move on to Hamilton again, though, because we've been talking about how Mercedes are, are clawing back a little bit and they, they seem to have lost a little bit of their kind of momentum that I guess was felt amongst the paddock from maybe uh, from Silverstone uh, and, and before that in, in Canada. However, Lewis Hamilton, third time on the podium in, in three races and George Russell, uh, for a change, absolutely behind Lewis Hamilton and, and sort of switching out for this season. So I'm thinking they'll, they'll be happy with that, won't they? And they're on, they're on the right track. I mean, after what happened on the Friday, I think getting a podium out of that Grand Prix was the best. Thing yeah. Would, both into yeah, the wall. Yeah. You know, both of them caused red flags. It, it was very much the best of a bad situation for, for Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. It was great to see him. Obviously Lewis, you know, he was 30 seconds down the road from the top two, but he he did what he needed to do. He was there. George obviously got a five-second penalty for a collision with Perez, who did later retire from the Grand Prix. Um, very similar to the Albon-Hamilton collision from a couple of years ago. Um, Red Bull never seemed to learn about not going around the outside of a Mercedes at that corner. Uh, that's three three times now I think they've done that and three times they've ended up <laughs> not coming away well yeah no don't do that stop doing that it's, it's not it's not going well for you um, um, maybe think of a new strategy yeah um, obviously fans driver of the day Mick Schumacher another Great points finish a career high sixth place for him another double points for Haas I'm more looking forward to watching Drive to Survive just to see Gunter Steiner's reaction to all this <laughs> we look like a bunch of legends <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, uh, but no, are, it, it's nice to see. It is, and obviously Austria was the halfway mark. It was race eleven of the season. Obviously, Red Bull are leading the constructors as well, so it's looking like it could be a double championship for them at the minute. But we still have eleven races to go. We've got many more surprises to come as well. And obviously, yeah. this weekend we've got Circuit Paul Ricard, which Max won last year, doing that amazing take on Lewis he did he did a Mercedes strategy on Lewis Hamilton <laughs> the undercut the extra pit stop and coming back uh, yeah uh, can you believe we're already halfway through Christ I, I mean we, we started the season in March um, and yeah we're, we're in July already it's 
it, honestly, time has flown by. I mean, this I is half the reason why we haven't really got that many episodes in this season because neither of us are finding the time to do anything. We're even watching the Grand Prix. <laughs> or we're just busy with life because, you know, things are happening. Yes, we are, Chris. We're watching every Grand Prix. You can't say that to them. We're watching every Grand Prix. We're watching every practice session. Well, we are committed. Uh, you've got to remember, I work on a Friday and I work <laughs> yes, on a Sunday. Both so do. I can only yeah. work on a Sunday. No, no, as in, uh, yes, we both work is what I meant. Yes. But uh, yeah, I have to tell you sometimes what's happening, or rather not tell you what's happening on Sunday because yeah, you, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Watch I, it back. I, I, I have to pull over into a lay-by and watch <laughs> the Grand Prix. Literally. <laughs> don't tell work that. You might, you might get the sack, mate. Nah. If I'm parked, over, parked and doing my job I'm fine <laughs> doing your job by not doing anything hey I have to wait until the correct time slot okay we won't get into the ins and outs of a supermarket <laughs> delivery service but uh, uh, lovely uh, right well look that's what's been happening all on track we just got a few things to mention which of course has always been happening off the track obviously we've spoken about the halo but you know it is a big talking point and you know we're very glad that you know it's doing its job Obviously, two incidents in one Grand Prix, one being with the Sausage Curb, which, again, is causing an uproar with commentators and people within Formula One because do Sausage Curbs have a place within the sport anymore? It's causing more danger than it is actually sorting mm. anything out. So I think a lot of people are saying maybe they should remove Sausage Curbs and either put in some gravel to you know be a massive deterrent because otherwise you're damaging the car with all the cost cap stuff or potentially you're, you're damaging people's health yeah um, social sausage curves I think are very much a thing of the past and I feel like Formula 1 needs to catch up with that and get rid of them well the um, reason they were brought in was to obviously try and deter people cutting corners but do you, do you feel like it's been a bit too of a brash uh, you know uh, move to take because I, I remember watching it's Formula 3 in Monza wasn't it a couple of years ago and I forget the driver's name, but it was launched right up into the air at Parabolica. It was the most horrific thing to see. But that was kind of almost, it's not a sausage curve, obviously, at, at a corner, but it was a similar kind it, of it thing. It wasn't Oscar Piastri by any chance, was it? No, no, it wasn't. But yeah, it, it, sausage curves just seem to be sort of a bane of existence at the minute. Like, and I think I've seen a picture of Spa where I think at the top of Eau Rouge, they potentially may have put sausage curves there. Hmm. Um, which would be very, very dangerous, especially, you know, with what happened a couple of years ago. It's very top speed there. If you go on one of them, it potentially yeah. break a suspension. You could end up losing control and going to another car. So for, for me, was, I'd say no more sausage curbs. No, it was Alex Peroni in Monza, uh, that F3 yes. crash uh, back in 2019. Uh, yeah, I think we don't really want to see that again. That was that was pretty horrific. Talk, talking about the cost cap, which I mentioned, because they've all, all agreed to up the... Um, cap mainly because of inflation uh, obviously we're still coming out of the pandemic the rising cost of everything really from transport to fuel you know i know some teams have said that they've factored this in but you know it's just getting a bit out of control and i feel like the teams have really had no other option but to agree to to do it otherwise you're going to see teams not finishing the end of the season yeah well th this is this is the thing um uh, it's it's a very hard balancing act when you've got teams in the midfield. I think Alpine have come out and said this and, and Haas have said this as well, haven't they? Um, the whole point of the cost caps to try and make the racing more equal to stop teams like Ferrari, uh, Mercedes, Red Bull running away with it, pumping in more money into it because of their the sponsors they can attract, the big commercial weight that they can bring. Um, if, you know, But there, there has been agreed for that cost cap to go up from $140 million dollars uh, only though up to 141.2 million so it it's only 1.2 million I say only 1.2 million dollars but you know if you remember when uh, Mick Schumacher crashed his Haas in in Monaco uh, that was 1.4 that was yeah exactly if you look at it like that that's basically one big crash one big crash and, and it's not made a difference so um, of course there's been some negotiation there and some compromise um, but it's yeah, 
I, 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 I'm personally of the view of Gunter Steiner saying, you know, if you've agreed to a cost cap and it's been signed into, you know, all by the teams, and yes, there is inflation in, in the world, but if some teams can keep within it, even though that's going on, then I don't feel like it should be really changed too much because then... You know, it's like anything in F1. If if people start complaining and moaning about something, you know, we've had in previous years many things I could bring up, uh, you know, um, particularly about F-ducks and all of that in the past or double diffusers and all that. You know, we can go through loads of them. Um, but, you know, it's... We can't just make a fuss about something just because uh, certain teams might be coping with it better. I, I, I'm of that view, but I, I do understand the inflation, the financial pressures. It's 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 weird to be saying that though about Formula One because you don't you don't really look at Formula One and think financial struggle, do you? Really? No, but I think at the same point, if you when they signed the cost cap last year or even the year before. Did they anticipate what was going to happen in the world? No, fair yeah, no, fair point. So, of course, think, not just the COVID pandemic, it's the, the, the war in Ukraine at the moment that is, of course, having some impact on on every, on every supply chains, on, on everything. Yeah, it's... I mean, everything's all interconnected, as we all know. Yep. So, yeah, I, I feel like, even though it's 1.2 million, I feel like it's, it's enough of a buffer, not necessarily for an accident on the track, but... Yeah. To it, keep, it should be enough to get over. every team to every Grand Prix. That's what we want. We don't want, you know, coming into no. Bahrain, oh, not Bahrain, um, no, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, we don't want Caterham and Mauritius not being there or like like a yeah, few we, years we, ago. We, we don't want it to be like four teams turn up. No. And we don't see like Williams, you know, even a big team like Ferrari or Red Bull because they've had to spend so much more on fuel or transport or whatever. Yeah. Not being able to turn up. We don't want that. That would be, that'd that'd be would, a pretty sad end to a season. That it'd would. be bizarre. Uh, it'd be very bizarre. I think it'd go down in the history books, to be honest with you. Um, Imagine if Red Bull lose a championship because they can't afford to get a Grand Prix. Yeah, and like, well, and and Ferrari as well. And then Mercedes just swooping and go, yeah, we're still dominant. <laughs> <laughs> we're still here. Um, at Ricardo, lots been said about him recently come out on a social media Instagram story recently laying out his position with McLaren saying he's committed to the team he's going to be there in 2023 um, there's been quite a lot of sort of scepticism though over his performances at McLaren I mean if you look down at his results this season 14th in Bahrain uh, a good 6th place in Australia to be fair it's home race but then after that 18th 13th 12th 13th, 11th bat in Canada. Um, I mean, you say it was a good sixth place. You say it was a good sixth place in Australia. Who came fifth? Drives an orange car. Uh, Lando Norris. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, still got beat by his teammate, even though it was a good sixth place. But yeah, I'm I'm on about in comparison to the rest of his results, though. In, in, in you know when you compare 13th out in Great Britain um, kind of making slight amends in for ninth in Austria um, you know I, I, we all love the honey badger he's one of the loveliest characters uh, and one of the nicest guys in the paddock I think that's fair to say one of the one of the most charismatic I think in the paddock uh, it's just so sad though to see isn't it that like if, if, I'm sure he's learning lots about the McLaren all the time but there are people questioning that and, and, and critiquing that and, and, and it's the harsh world of Formula One. I feel like some of it is warranted, but a lot of it also isn't. It could cut in some slack a, a little bit. I think the thing you've got to realise, Formula One is very much a cutthroat business. We've seen mm-hmm. it with Red Bull in particular. I mean, you've even been hearing up until recently with Haas, does Mick Schumacher have a seat for next year? Will he be given another chance because he was underperforming the car? Um it's the same for Daniel Ricciardo. In Formula One, points mean prizes. And at the minute, he's not scoring many points and McLaren ain't going to be getting many prizes at the end of the season. Mm. Yeah, so, harsh but fair. Absolutely. It, it's exactly that. In Formula One, as he well knows, he needs to get the results. He got a massive result last season. He, he won the Grand Prix in Italy. He needs to have a few races like that. And to be fair, that one race last year was probably the only time he really stood out against his teammate. Mm. You know, even then, Lando had a fantastic race. He finished second. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I do hope that, you know, things are on the up for, for Daniel. I think everyone wants to see that. But as you say, it's a cutthroat business. And uh, yeah, um, I, I, there is, of course, that commitment to 2023. But, it, oh, you know, it depends how the rest of that season goes. So um, let's see how 2022 plays out the rest of the next 11 races. Let's hope it goes well for him. Uh, let's uh, Talking of races and the amount of them in the season, let's just round up of kind of some of the rumours we've been hearing lately, Chris. So Stefano Domenicali, the head honcho of F1, uh, saying we could hit 30 races in a season because so many people around the world are wanting a race. And just because so many people want a race, does it mean we should do 30 races in a calendar in a calendar season or a calendar year? I mean, I said it earlier uh, in the episode, it's going to be a lot for people. Like, they're spending so much time away from their families as it is. It's, you know it's going to be relentless they get a bit of a winter break now but by doing a 30 race season they're going to be racing all the way up till christmas or the holidays depending on how you view things um and then by which time as soon as january hits they're going to be getting ready for pre-season they're probably going to have to start racing like end of february start of march so pre-season testing is going to be the end of january there's going to be next to no time to actually be able to chill out you're going to be constantly on the go 24 7 yeah, you know it's it's going to be absolutely relentless, but obviously next season we've already got Vegas confirmed, so we're going to have a mm. third race in the states. Mm. There's a chance we get Kyle Lamy back on the grid. We haven't had Kyle Lamy on the grid since the '80s. That would um, be great. And, and, and they have they have done some modernisation work, haven't they, to sort of be in the running for this bid? They have, and yeah. also we've got Qatar returning. Obviously not on the grid for this season due to the Winter World Cup. I thought that was a great race. It was when it was race. there last, last, last I, I know, time out. I know currently a lot of football fans at the minute are hating well, FIFA for the fact that we've had absolutely tremendous weather. I'm not yeah. saying anything about the fact it was 40 degrees or it was too hot. Because you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but a lot of people did want to, uh, a nice summer World Cup like we used to. But we've got a winter one. But Qatar will be on the grid for next season. So that is all good to see. Um, but I feel like 30 races in a season, I feel like that's... I feel yeah. like that's maybe a limit a bit too far. And, feel, and people, people were moaning at 20, weren't they, when, when they that were. was I changed? Mean, we're still yet to get past 22, and 22 is a very long season as it is. But yeah, no, well, we'll see what happens, I guess, in good time, whether it's going to be 30 races next season or the season after that, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but we in, could, in term for having 30, well, in, in term for having 30 races, it then leads to, well, we're, we're not going to be going to America three times a year every year. You know, yeah. Where do you put them? Or, or could this be? If he's talking about thirty races, we don't know what the formats of this could. But it could be more like a Formula Two. If the more of them have sprint races, so whether you're counting the sprint um, races as no, actual it's, sprint it's races, about thirty full weekends. Yeah, thirty different. Yeah. So you're gonna have sprint tracks. races. You're gonna be having like thirty-eight races a season or something. But it goes Mad. on to what tracks do you lose? I mean, there's a big thing at the minute. Are we gonna lose Monaco? Are, Are we, we gonna lose know. Spa? France could they rotate that and Spa every other year Germany you, could we have Germany and ro- that rotate with Spa well I, n- I know the concerns around Monaco particularly were particularly relating to the the size of the, how big the cars are now and it's very difficult to manoeuvre or get past overtake etc um, but Monaco was a, as you said earlier Chris a great race this season losing a track like Spa is so classic and has so much heritage in Formula One seems beyond me if that was to actually happen um, it'd be pretty uh, you know well bewildering if, if that was if that was the case to lose such an iconic track which has so much story and legacy within Formula One um, I think uh, there'd be quite a, a big furor I mean Sebastian Vettel I believe has come out and, and said and Max Verstappen as well has said that it would be an absolute dreadful shame if, if we were to lose a track like Spa I think the, the thing with Spa, 2006 we had it because they were doing some redevelopment works with the whole bus stop she came yeah. and that. And it was very much missed on the calendar. And, you know, we had it gone over COVID. We didn't go to Spa. And, and to be fair, we didn't race there last year either. So we, we, it's been a couple of years since we have raced at Spa properly. And I'll tell you yeah. what, it's been missed. Spa is a great circuit. It throws up all kinds of wonderful things Giancarlo Fisichella getting pole position in a false India 
back when Force India were the slowest team on the road. Yeah, that was oh God, a, a very, very close to winning the Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, we saw Jordan getting their first ever victory with a 1-2 mm-hmm. with Damon Hill and Ralph Schumacher. But, but yeah, obviously that season as well, we had with that big crash uh, going down towards Rouge. Yeah, and again, not iconic for the right reasons, but I guess infamous in a way. David Coulthard, Michael Schumacher, yeah. by chance? Yeah, that one. Yeah, and, and well, and the big pile-up, of course. If you remember that, yes. um, yeah, the jump start for Roman Grosjean, yeah, was Maldonado. Well, it's Maldonado yeah. and and a Roman but Grosjean. Yeah. There's so much that's happened. Spa throws up so much. You know, 2008 Spa was incredible. Felipe Massa, Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen. Mm. We didn't know until about five or eight hours after the race what was going on, <laughs> but it was exciting. Yeah, and Spa does that because of the weather. It changes in an instant because of the forest. And having a race that is so diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Is honestly going to be such a shame. I think with Monaco, I, I, I think a lot of people see that the cars are too big for Monaco. And to some point, I agree. Mm. There wasn't a lot of overtaking on track, it was mainly down to mistakes, errors by the pits. I think if you're going to keep Monaco, you have to have a bit like what IndyCar do. You need a Monaco spec car. Yeah. A lot smaller. Yeah, good point. A, a bit more sort of but get, a one-off, quick, but designed purely for that. I guess outside of obviously Formula One's never cap. been in that position though, so it doesn't know, you know, or doesn't even consider that as an option because it's never been in that, in that place. But No, but yeah. I think like it's now getting to the stage where if you mm. want to keep Monaco, I think all the drivers, they love going to Monaco. Yeah, of course. Monaco is such a, a special jewel. place. But it is getting towards the procession. I think if you have a, a car dedicated for that, like they do with IndyCar and mm. Indy 500, mm. Mm. it is a dedicated solely for that weekend car. It could spice things up a little. Like, yeah. Even if you have like just a base for all the teams, they have whatever engine that they've run throughout the season. But they have a, a a base chassis. Just let them run. See who can do what. Yeah, that would be oh, interesting to see. I mean, I'm sure there'll be plenty more discussion on that to come. Um, and finally, going into the French Grand Prix at the Castellet uh, this weekend, uh, Nick de Vries is going to be taking part in FP1, the Formula E uh, World Champion, replacing Lewis Hamilton for the session. Interestingly, and not George Russell. What do you make of uh, de Vries? Can you see him in Formula One soon? Are there rumour of him? Isn't there, Chris? Possibly. Uh, muscling in at McLaren along with uh, Alex Palou has been signed uh, and possibly uh, you know even uh, Rossi there now um, I, f- I forget the other McLaren driver that's that's in the in the running as well uh, I mean you've got um, oh, Col- uh, Colton Hurt Colton Hurt as well has been testing with them re- that's it testing with he's, them recently he's been doing really well with them and he's very much ready for that um, I don't feel like Nick DeFries is ever going to get in Formula 1 you know He's, he won GP2, but he's he's never sort of got in there. He was with McLaren. He was mm, in the McLaren mm, program. Mm. But they never chose him. Uh, so he's now, he's now obviously the test driver, and he's, he was the, uh, the Mercedes Formula E driver. Um, won the Formula E championship with them. But I don't know. I just don't see them. I don't, I don't see him. I, I see him, obviously, for this weekend. I'll see what he can do. Yeah. But there is a very strong report... I heard this week Mercedes are looking to sign Mick Schumacher really what into the driver program to 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 replace Lewis Hamilton when he retires wow I mean that's That's, where have you seen that I'm pretty sure I heard it on Sky Sports wow I mean that's a big big call isn't it and that is like you know obviously going it's not like going from Jordan to Benetton uh, no, but the the ironic thing is, oh, is sorry, Jordan, Mick Jordan to Ferrari. Mick Schumacher came in. Lewis Hamilton replaced a retiring Michael Schumacher. Yeah, and then Mick Schumacher's retire going to be replacing a, a retiring oh. Lewis Hamilton who replaced his father. Well, I mean, that uh, you've linked that that's together. Story. That's pretty cool. But that, yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, wow, that's. And obviously, being a German team, they haven't had a German of course since Nico Rosberg retired. Yeah, so. 
yeah, it's it's a very strong strong link, and I'm pretty sure Toto is very much on the ball trying to yeah. trying to get that deal done. And for, of course, the name the name the name that comes with it, and you know, and all of the association but with his father gonna, before. That, that's going to be a big battle with Ferrari because he's yeah. in the Ferrari program. Yeah, will Schumacher want to drive for Mercedes like his dad did? Will he want to drive for Ferrari? I feel like Ferrari is going to have more pressure than what he will be at Mercedes, but yeah. You know, interesting. It's, it's, Very does interesting. Does he want to get out of that legacy of being a Ferrari yeah. driver with the name Schumacher? Well, if he keeps That's... if if he keeps up his performances this season, then we could be on for a good one. Very much so. All right. Um, look, Chris, it's been uh, it's been nice to catch up again and um, and and talk all things F1. It's it's uh, I've missed this very very much. And um, for those listening, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, just quickly, Chris, what do you? What do you foresee in your crystal ball for the rest of the season? Um, for for the next few races. Eleven races. <laughs> well, for the next for the next few races, apart from the amount um, you plonk. I see Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull get podiums. I think there'll be a shock podium for someone in another team. Um. Okay. Like a Pierre um, Gasly. Maybe. Maybe Fernando Alonso. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there'll be one wet race in the next five races. <laughs> Not France, because that looks to be very hot. Race. Cause climate change. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think the gap between Leclerc and Verstappen will stay the same-ish. Mm. But you think it's going to be a toing and froing in the next few races? We've got we've got uh, obviously France, Hungary, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, and see, Italy I on see, the way. I this this season I see Red Bull winning France, but I see Ferrari winning Zambor. Mm, oh, interesting. Laying that down. Well, look, hopefully we're going to be back with you in a, a few races time, and of course we've got the summer break as well coming up, um, which we're trying to get, to get a few episodes in into that as well, and try and get you uh, some guests on around the outside to uh, have a chat to as well and have some conversations with. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure as always, my friend, and uh, I, hopefully we'll see you again very soon on around the outside. It's been me, Jay Peach. And it's been me, Chris Moss. We'll see you very soon. Take care. Thank you.